With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So we think that we're important. And we think that we make sense. And we think there's something better on the other side of this fence. The season is over. The captain blames the fans. The GM says the fans are idiots. And one columnist says that the captain should be stripped of the sea and banished to Siberia. Welcome to Snow the Goalie. It's a beautiful day for some Flyers off-season hockey talk. But first, my dear friend and colleague, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly. Anthony, how are you? I couldn't be better, Russ. Whatever happened to spring, man? We went straight from winter right into summer. I mean, I'm not complaining. The weather right now is perfect. It's beautiful. We'll walk outside and t-shirt and shorts in, in uh, the very beginning of May. But we went right from like frigid cold right to this. There was no enjoyable spring. I don't mind at all. I'm I'm allergic to nature, so spring is not a good time for me. So uh, <laughs> by all means, if we just want to get rid of some of the transitional you know seasons, that's okay. Although I do like fall. Fall's fine. Ragweed sucks, but like fall is great. Spring, you, eh. You're allergic to nature? So you I just, am. You, you I get allergy bump, shots, you, man. Oh, you, are you like bubble I, boy, man. You need to stay inside entirely. You know, if I go like lay out on a lawn, it's all over for me, man. Like you know, I'm gonna my, be, I'm gonna be covered in a rash. I'm gonna look like I have the plague. It's not good. It yeah, is my not, son, not. Good. My son is, my son is like that. He can't go out into the grass. But I figure, I mean, that's one thing. If you're allergic to like whatever's in the grass, I get it. But yeah, trees. It's it's, 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 it's bad. <laughs> Yeah, like, how do you good. end up allergic to a tree? And, like, how do you find out? It's not like you, yeah. like, like go straight up Baloo from the Jungle Book and, like, rub your back on there to, like, get a, to scratch your back, right? No. You go, you yeah, get the a- allergy test, and they're like, hey, you're, here are all the trees in nature. You're allergic to all of them very badly. It's you, like, well, good thing, f- good thing I wasn't planning on eating some bark. <laughs> well, you know what? I can't tell you how many times over the years that I would end up going to the doctor after, and, and, you know, the doctor would be like, well, where were you? And I'm like, no, really, nowhere. I mean, I'm just, you know, back and forth. And, and he'd say, um, oh, I for, keep forgetting, you're in those hockey locker rooms. He said, it's like a Petri dish in there. Um, and he says, it's the worst, it's like one of the worst places, locker room, sports locker rooms are like one of the worst places for illnesses to be born in and for, you know, stuff to come from because of all the molding and Ugh. sweat and everything. It's awful. So, yeah, so we put ourselves at risk uh, for, for, you know, for the benefit of the fan. I just <laughs> want to thank you. Thank you for going into those locker rooms. Thank you for that, Mr. <laughs> Sanfilippo. You're putting your health on the line and you've got a family. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we already went off the rails 30 seconds uh. into the show. That's fine. It's off season. It's yeah. off season and off the rails. Life is good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know where you want to start with this today, but you know, Flyers Flyers media day happened, and I don't know if you want to get to. Should we talk about the Giroux piece really quick? Yeah, Giroux, we can. I mean, I know the Giroux a, hit piece. I, I know it's a week old, Russ. I mean, the funny thing is, is that you know we recorded I think last week 
uh, Tuesday night, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so like we we had just come off game six, and the Flyers' breakup day was on Wednesday. So we had recorded the night before all this craziness happened. So Wednesday was the Giroux thing. Thursday was the Hextall thing. I'm like sitting there like, wow, we we recorded two days too soon. <laughs> like this was all stuff that we needed to talk about. Um, so yeah, we are a little bit behind with it, but just you know the timing element of it. But um, nevertheless, I mean, it has to be talked about, and and it's got to be talked about in a smart manner because I think what ends up happening is when that stuff happens, everybody gets reactionary, right? And everybody wants to respond right away. Everybody wants to kill the writer. Everybody wants to scream at Hextall. Everybody wants to scream at Giroux because, you know, nobody knows what does, what's what and nobody can, like, really in, in, uh, interpret what is being said. And I, I figure now, here we are, six, seven days later, you know, we can, you know, uh, look at it uh, with a with a more uh, measured eye and be able to tell people exactly what was being said and what the thought was behind everything. And I think maybe they'll get a better understanding of where everything lies with this Flyers team at this point. Let's pull back that curtain. So I, I guess to add a little bit of context here. So Marcus Hayes wrote an article, April 25th, Claude Giroux admits booing fans hurt Flyers in NHL playoffs. Now, if you listen to the entire clip of the questions that were asked to Giroux, he was talking, what I, the way that I took it was, he was saying that, you know, the way that fans react in Philadelphia, um, you know, can can apply pressure. And it's not a bad pressure necessarily, but when you're on the power play and the fans are yelling at you to shoot, it can get you out of your game plan. Whereas on the road, they don't have to face that because nobody really cares what they do on the road. You're You're the away team. The crowd is, you know, barreling in on their own home team. And somehow Marcus Hayes took this as, you know, it... It's not that it takes them out of the swing of things. It's that the booing hurt their feelings. And he wrote this entire, like this massive article um, where I think he took a very mundane line and blew it up into this, I, like, I would call it a character hit piece. Um, it, it was a way that, you know, Sports Talk Radio finally brought up the Flyers. And you had like a bunch of people just react to it without ever paying attention to the quote. I mean, I think it's. Brandon Lee Gowton, I think, is the one on Twitter who has the pin tweet that says uh, the the rules for responding to a tweet. One, look at the headline. Two, definitely don't read the article. Three, comment. And that to me is kind of what this whole thing was, except instead of it being, you know, something where the fans were just going out on this like wacky idea, a columnist decided to do that and just picked one little part of a quote built an entire narrative, and then you started this debate off of something that really was not meant to be a hit in any way. Right, and, and I want to get into the genesis of the of the column in a, in a minute, but I want to address um, exactly how you described it there, because you, you, you did a great job describing it there, Russ, because that's exactly what uh, Claude Giroux was saying. I mean, did he say what he said? 100%. And, you know, Marcus puts the quote out there um, on Twitter. It, you know, everybody was questioning where, you know, that saying that he was cherry-picking the quote. He didn't necessarily cherry-pick the quote. His quote, he, he put the quote exactly as it was. He didn't cut it short um, on Twitter anyway. He put the entire quote out on Twitter. Um, so it was all there. The, the thing was is that you got to understand when athletes are talking. These guys are not. Um, classical orders, okay? So the th you have to in interpret sometimes 
what they are saying and, and how they are saying it. So when you hear Giroux sit there, sit there and say, you know, first of all, it was a leading question by Sam Carcitti in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think Sam was trying to uh, get Drew to, to say something negative about the fans, but it was certainly a leading question. And you ask any player in any sport professionally with the difference between playing at home and playing on the road, and they will tell you, and with all honesty, that they prefer playing on the road because there's, there is less of a pressure to, to perform. They, would, they feel like they can play the style of their game without having to worry about impressing anybody. And, and you can ask, any again, like I said, any sport. This is not just germane to hockey. So when Giroux says what he says, it, he's, he's being honest and say, he's not blaming the fans. He's saying, yeah, look, you know what? You know, the fans get on us. And then rather than stay within ourselves and stay within the game plan that we have, you know, we sometimes, you know, try and do too much, basically, um, and, and try just to, you know, give them what they want. And it's not a, like a planned thing. It's not like they're sitting there on the bench saying, oh, they're, they're yelling at us to shoot. Let's shoot, guys. That's not what, that's not what it is. It's very subconscious, okay? And, and I would think anybody at their job, whatever our jobs are, would perform in that capacity. You know, if we had, Russ, if we had a bunch of fans sitting here um, yelling at us, if we were on a live remote and a bunch of fans were sitting there yelling at us to talk about something specific, ideally, I mean, eventually, we would talk about what they want us to talk about, right? I mean, that's just the, that's just the nature of it because you want to uh, entertain, you want to inform, you want to do do your job for the people, you know, provide the service that you want to provide. And so I think that's what Giroux ultimately is saying. It's it's not it's not something that they sit there and say, oh, well, we hear it and we know the fan. It's very, very self-conscious, uh, subconscious. So I, I think that exa- that's exactly what it was. And it, it was kind of innocuous and, and got turned into something a lot more by Marcus. So I'm you like- nailed that. You nailed that. Well, thank you. Thank you yeah. so much for that. I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's a troubling trend of Marcus Hayes' off-season columns. Um, on April 10th of 2017, he wrote an article all about why the Flyers should trade Claude Giroux and how they screwed up by not trading him at the end of 2015. And he called him a scratch-and-dent Ferrari because of all the injuries. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, I think, you know, it's it's crossing broad, so... You know, I think we inherently or or people at the site inherently kind of go after Marcus and things that he writes because, you know, it, it's kind of low hanging fruit in a lot of cases where, you know, I don't really ever seem to agree with many of his opinions on on sports. And I think a lot of times I think, um, you know, in this this um, newspaper industry, dying newspaper industry, sports section, you know, not holding the prestige it once did kind of world we live in. I think a lot of these guys, you know, feel like they could do a, a normal game write-up and maybe do a decent job, but they'd rather, you know, stir up some crap and, and you know, get some page views and really get some conversation going, which to some extent is okay. I mean, sports radio hosts do that kind of stuff all the time. I mean, if you watch or listen to the national guys like a, a Colin Cowherd, you know, say, you know, Philadelphia, you're you're going to, you've been riding in first class for a while, but you're going back to coach. Like, everybody knows that that's just a ploy to get Philadelphia fans in, listening to his clips, listening to his show, trying to engage him on Twitter. And, like, that kind of makes him a genius. But this kind of thing that Marcus Hayes tends to do, especially when it comes to hockey, I find just infuriating in a lot of ways. And it 
it doesn't feel like he was trying to do justice by the player, the team, or the fans. It felt like almost he like he had this personal axe that he wanted to grind. Like he he came up with this idea for what a column could have been, and the second that a quote was put out there that could have been misconstrued or put into the framing of this idea he's been holding all season, you know, that's when he was going to finally put pen to paper. You know, and and I think that's what bothers me the most. Um, okay, and that and that's fair. And and so now let me say, obviously, um, I want to I want to put this caveat out first because, unlike most of the people on our <laughs> on our website and on our network, um, I, I don't have this bitter dislike for Marcus. I actually like Marcus. Um, he's a friend of mine. Um, whenever we're at games at the same time, we usually hang out and talk and. Um, really just kind of and you know just kind of have a, a good conversation and I don't know and I don't always agree with him um, but Marcus is paid to be a columnist and the columnist's job is to offer an opinion sometimes a minority opinion and uh, to generate conversation that is that is the inherent job of a columnist of the newspaper now it, can you sit there and say that sometimes the takes are uh, incredibly ridiculous Yes, but if you're asked to write, you know, certain so many columns a year, occasionally you're going to hit that. Occasionally you're going to you're going to push a button that you probably shouldn't have pushed, or or take something a little bit further than you probably should have with your opinion. Um, and that's just the nature of it. I mean, I, I I'll tell you as someone who has been a columnist before um, that that can happen, and and you know you just get you get caught up in the. You know, in what you're doing for your job, and, and you try and be, you know, this opinionated person. And sometimes, you know, you're like, well, what angle am I going to go with here? Well, let me try this one, and it ends up being way too, way too wide an angle. Okay, so um, it, it can happen. Um, that said, prior to Game Six, Marcus is the, at Game Six, and I walk into the building, and I see him, and of course, I go over, and we start talking. And we ended up having lunch in the media room um, together prior to prior to the game. And while we're there, we're talking about a million different things, not just hockey, other sports as well. But um, the conversation comes up about um, we're talking about Ivan Provorov um, and the fact that he was going to play and that he's his arm is falling off and that they really this is kind of crazy. And Marcus goes on what I thought was an actually pretty solid uh, rant about. You know how this kid at age 20, just turned 21 um, is a real leader in the locker room um, and should be should be recognized as such. No one's really recognizing Provorov as a leader, and, and he made great points. And this and this is this is at lunch. This is not something he's written, right? So he's talking about how great of a leader he is, how he should be captain one day. Okay, great. I said to him, I said, you know, Marcus, that sounds like a column. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, he had like a really nice argument for it. Um, but then he goes on, then he takes that the next step. And he's like, what I like about Provorov is that he is a, you know, command, respect, team first, kind of wear your heart on the sleeve, kind of emotional leader. He says, and that's what's been missing here. This is, this is what he's saying. And I said, I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, well, he says, you know, look at all the, the captains that, you know, the, that we've had in the past and why they were successful as captains. And he says, you know, they got the, you know, and he actually called, picked out Pronger, for example. Um, and, and he says, you know, the, the one thing with Pronger is, is that he he got it, like he understood uh, what the what the um, you know what it, the job entailed from a public perspective, and you know how, how he had to, you know, take 
take a, a lot of responsibility on himself and this and that and like really shy, you know, make it make it easier on the team. But and just going off on on this stuff. And he and he sit there and he says, you know, Drew's never been that kind of guy. And I said to him, I said, well, no. I said Claude is not the kind of guy who's going to go out and and be the you know the the voice public voice. He's never been a good talker. He's a quieter guy. I said, but, but Drew is well-respected in that locker room. I mean, he's looked upon as the leader of this team. He calls team meetings, and he is, you know, all these young kids really respect the hell out of him, and they do. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, and I said, so I said, you know, a lot of what Drew's captaincy um, is is not seen by the public. His captaincy is his play on the ice, and he's been as consistent as hell this year um, and really good. And secondly, the quieter stuff that's not reported on because it takes place behind closed doors. I said, so that's what makes him a good captain. And he's like, well, he's like, you know, I, I just think that a captain in hockey needs to be more uh, out there for his team. He needs to be needs to, you know, take more responsibility, say some more things, be more of a public face. And, and, and that's his take on it. And that's fine. But the thing that bothered me about the article, and this is the reason I tell this story, is because this conversation that we had. Um, just the two of us sitting there at lunch, led to the column that turned out to be on Wednesday. It really did. Because if the Flyers don't lose game six, that column's not being written Wednesday. But Marcus had it in his head that Claude Giroux's not a good enough captain. And if he can find any way to show, like, listen, this is why he's not a good enough captain, then he was going to do it. And so the fact that they lost the, the playoff series... Drew was a minus ten, didn't have a great season. And not plus minus is really an irrelevant stat in hockey, but that's okay. Um, he's minus ten. Um, it didn't have a great series, and then he comes out and says something that's not really inflammatory. But if you kind of take it out of context, it can be seen as a little bit inflammatory. And so it, he, it was a perfect storm for him, and he writes this column. And guess what? People are going to agree with him because there are people out there in flyerdom who feel this, who think Giroux is not a good captain. And I will submit to each and every one of them that they're wrong, that they are silly to think that. I will tell you that I know for a fact, just from talking to people, how much of how good of a leader he is in that locker room. And I don't think there's another player on this team, and I disagree with Marcus, he said it would he would give it to Provorov or Simmons ahead of Giroux. He said that he also was a believer that Kimo Timonen should have been the captain back in the day instead of instead of Giroux. Um, and I understand why that is, but because Kimo is a, another well-respected locker room guy. But I'll tell you right now that the best player on this team and the best leader on this team is Claude Giroux in that locker room. And it's not even a question. So anybody who out there who thinks that they know better because they're basing it off of a six-game performance against the Penguins is completely wrong. And I'm just, I, I, just, I can't be any more blunt about it um, and I'm critical of this team top to bottom as often as I can be when they deserve it. There's This is not a place to criticize them. Claude Giroux is a good captain and should remain captain of this team for the foreseeable future. How like It's unprecedented conceptually, right? Like if, if for some reason Dave and Ron decided that they wanted to go a different direction at captain, like it, it's unprecedented. Stop you for for, one, let me stop yeah. you for one second. Like I, I know they you. won't. But I love I love that you call them Dave and Ron. <laughs> 
I have to think about it for a second because I never refer to them as their first names. It's always Hexy and Hack. You go Dave and Ron. I'm like, who the hell is he talking about? I think it makes them sound a little bit more sophisticated, to be honest. Like it sounds like it sounds like they own a flower shop together, and like that's fine. Dave and Ron's flowers. Hello, how are you, Dave and Ron? Anyway, anyway, I didn't mean to to, uh, derail the conversation. Go ahead. No, that's fine. They're going to sponsor our our podcast from now on. Dave and Ron's flowers available in Voorhees, New Jersey. Give them a call. They'll give you ten percent off if you admit that you're a stupid Flyers fan. All right. Um, no, um, no, like the the idea of in in hockey as as a whole, not just the Flyers, but like the concept of agreeing with a player to hand the C off to someone else. It strikes me as a rarity and it strikes me as more of an emasculation than it, than it would anything else. Is there ever a time that you think it's appropriate in theory to, I don't want to say remove it because if, if you're saying that you're removing or stripping the captain of that title, it, it sounds like it's, you know, because you don't believe in the guy, but at some point, like, does it make sense? Like, say we're two, three years down the line and, you know, you think that Provorov really has stepped up and become this this fantastic vocal leader and you kind of want him to usher in the next, you know, this next crop, this next generation of, of flyer. Is that a point where the conversation is had between the captain and the front office to say, you know what, like, let's hand this over? Or is it something where, like, if you think Provorov is going to be that guy, he gets he gets to wear the A, and then when Giroux eventually moves on, then you you know kind of uh, uh, promote him to the C. Yeah, and I think that I think that your second scenario is more likely. Um, that's kind of the the way you do it because that way you, you're right. It is a little bit emasculating to take the C away from somebody and give it to somebody else. I mean, the last time that happened here was when they took it away from Lindros, right? And that was all because of, and that was so petty. So. But here's my philosophy on it. Like, I don't think it's that big a freaking deal. <laughs> the C? Yeah, it's not. It's so, the biggest deal in hockey. What are you talking about? I, it, like, come on. <laughs> Jason Smith, man. Jason Smith. 0708. He wore uh, that C. Okay? That, that defined a career. Yeah. I and, know. It, you know, there was also at the about the same time, there was also a, a mediocre Jason Smith who was like a seven-foot guy that played for the uh, Sixers. Wasn't very yes, good. there was. Sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I look, it's a it's a thing, it's a hockey thing. I mean, you don't really talk about captains in other sports, right? I mean, we don't really talk about them, but but each team kind of has their leaders um in that in their locker room and it's never just one guy. Um so in hockey, yeah, okay. So, you know, when when they have what they call leadership group meetings, it's not just the captain and the alternates. I mean, that's not usually your leadership group is like six or seven strong, right? So there's like, there's always three or four guys who are in a leadership group who don't even wear a letter. So what the hell is the difference? The, the, the whole point of the C and the A's is uh, created by the league. Um, and, and the premise of it is, is that those are the only people who are allowed to discuss a, a, an official's decision on the ice with an official. Now, over the years, that's kind of been, you know, blurred a little bit. Like, yeah, they're supposed to be the guys, but there are other guys go out there and talk to officials. You always see it when they go over to the, you know, officials are over at the penalty box and somebody goes over for an explanation. It does not really have to be the C or the A's. It's supposed to be. And the majority of the time it is, but it doesn't have to be. But, I mean, that's the whole purpose of the C's and the A's being on jerseys. It's the only reason. And we have blown it up especially here in Philadelphia, but in other cities as well, 
to mean so much more than it really does. It really but, doesn't matter. You want to take the C off of Claude Giroux? Take the C off of his sweater? He's still going to be a leader in the locker room. He's not, he's not going to be any different. So it's, it's just kind of it's a ceremonial thing more than anything else. And to, and to strip it publicly is, is only a negative. But, I mean, I don't think it, it, it in any way changes the way a guy is. In a, like a, if, it's not like suddenly if you took the C away from Drew, he's going to be in the locker room and be like, oh, sorry, guys, I'm not the captain. Don't talk to me. Hey, he's going to still be the same guy. That's the, thing that, that's the thing that's kind of asinine about this whole concept of giving it to someone else and stripping it away from them. It doesn't matter. Those people or those players are going to still lead the team in the same way they do regardless if they have a letter on their sweater or not. Yeah, but I mean, like, okay, so so let me play devil's advocate on that then. If it doesn't matter, then what does it matter if you hand it off to someone else? Like, what if what if handing off the C or the A's to you know other young players kind of gives them a, a feeling of uh, empowerment? It gives them you know a feeling like an increased sense that they are you know trusted to be leaders on this team. And if it if it ends up boosting them, you know, mentally, then isn't that worth it? Like, don't you want to have some of those guys, you know? In, in a spot where they feel like they really are part of, you know, a, a cultural change in the locker room. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I mean, that's, that could certainly be looked at that way. But I'll tell you that the, the opposite can also happen. Because what the, the other effect of the letters on the sweater are how it, how it affects the media. Because and, and the, the writers immediately become sheep, Okay. Uh, and which I, which again I don't understand, but the fact is is that oh well he's the captain we got to talk to him. I mean that's that's the it's it's a, it's a mentality. It's been going on for you know decades. It's not something new, but the mentality is is that oh well we need answers to why the team's losing. Let's talk to the captain. Oh let's talk to the alternate captains. They're they're the voices of the team. Well okay. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, every, other players can have opinions too, besides the guys who have C's and A's. Um, but at the same, so what ends up happening is, is if you put it on a young player's jersey too soon, I think what ends up happening is is they're going to get peppered now with questions, and maybe they they're not at a stage of their career yet where they are comfortable being the person who has to answer for the entire team. I mean. I'll say this, like, Ivan Provorov, um, not the greatest interview. I mean, he's kind of just mundane. I mean, he's not, I mean, he's not bad, like, he's not terrible, but he doesn't really say anything that's going to excite you as a writer. I mean, he's not going to give you a great quote that you're going to sit there and say, oh, yeah, let's build a story around that. He's just, you know, he just says the, the cliches and, um, you know, gives you short answers and, you know, he's not a big personality by any stretch of the imagination. Doesn't mean he can't be a good leader. He certainly could be a good leader, but he's not He's not the guy that's going to come out and be, at least not yet, he's not the guy who's going to come out and say stuff to the media. But if you put a letter on his sweater, and, and they don't, you know, people don't really talk to him a lot in the locker room. I mean, you know, here and there. I mean, if he has something, some, if he's involved with something in the game, he scores a goal or he's responsible for a, a turnover or something, then yeah, he's going to be requested and, and he'll talk. But at the same time, I mean, he can go days, weeks without talking to the media. But if he's the captain, he's got to talk every day. And that's, I mean, that's, it's just the nature of it. And, and, and I, I laugh at it, I chuckle at it because it's the way that everybody's conditioned you know it's kind of like we're conditioned to eat certain foods at certain times of the day like oh well you eat 
pancakes at breakfast. You don't eat at the door at lunch, or you can't eat a steak at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, yeah, you can. If you really want to, it doesn't make a difference. We're just conditioned to do it a certain way. And the media is conditioned to talk to the captain and the alternates as the leaders of the team to give to give explanations. It's 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 silly. The whole concept of it is silly. So, you know, can can you give it to a younger player and say, yeah, here, take this leadership responsibility and run with it? Sure. But at the same time, you're, you could also be adding undue pressure to a younger player. Let him get into the league. Let him learn everything about the league and play and, and kind of do it in obscurity. I mean, that's really the case. You know, you don't don't constantly force them to have to answer questions. And then they can get better that way. So that's why you want veterans more often than not being your captain and your alternates because they've been around and they know how to they know how to handle the media a little bit better. So that really you're looking at the only reasons that we even have captains and alternates in hockey, and it's for the referees and for the media. I mean, that's it. I mean, what other purpose does it serve to have those letters? I, I don't know. So then let me kind of petition. Like, maybe it's just time to get rid of the C and the A's. The only oh, two yeah, sports, but- the, like, honestly, the only two sports that, that really embrace it, and, like, if if part of it is, be, like, if part of the, the problem around it is, you know, you feel like it's... um. I don't know that it it's kind of it's used as a way to kind of create a wedge and in, in the locker room or at least like with with the media like it it cause undue it causes undue I don't know stress or spotlight or whatever like the only two sports that do it are soccer and hockey right like like football you know in theory has captains they send they send out you know captains every game right and yeah. that can that can change baseball like the only guy that i can think of uh god what what was his name was it Veritech, the catcher from the yeah. the red Sox? like he was the only one basketball doesn't have anybody wear the c i mean you know what i mean like it's it's i, I don't like maybe it's it's just like time to to pass it on like maybe it's it's silly i, I don't i don't know like <laughs> but there's a lot of silly in sports and and this is one of them this is a silly tradition and it just is. It exists because it's a silly tradition, and it's been a tradition for a hundred years. And so that's that's the reason. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't do anything about it. That's I, look. I don't buy it as far as from a media perspective. Like, I don't go into a situation if the Flyers lose a game and they've lost six in a row, and I need answers. I don't automatically assume I got to get them from Claude Giroux. He's not going to. He's not going to say anything inflammatory. You know, if anything else, I want to go sit in that locker room and talk to a younger player who's probably not trained to be as, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, give the give the media the the pad answer that the team wants them to give. Like that younger player might have a little bit more emotion, and that's the kind of guy that I'm going to seek out for a good quote. Um, it's it's playing the game. You got to play the game on the media side too, as as much as you do on the player side, and. You know, and and that's I think that I think that as media members, you earn respect from the players, the coaches, the team, the management, everybody by doing your job the right way and and in a professional manner. And and even if that means you get somebody to say something that they probably shouldn't have said, you're not going to you're not going to get people mad at at the at you as a writer for doing that. They might get mad at the player, but they respect the fact that you were able to, you know, to call that relationship with that player to get the, that comment. And so that, therefore, it becomes, you know, it, it, you only improve yourself as a writer and as a member of the media. And I, that's why I think that the whole the whole mentality of pack journalism is so bad. And, and you have it. And also, again, it, it's the worst in hockey. It's worse in hockey than any other sport. But it exists 
and other sports. I've been at Phillies games where I come, we come back up from the locker room and you have six writers saying, okay, I'll transcribe this, you transcribe that, blah, blah, and they all share it. Well, what, is this all about expediency? Is that all it is? Like, you know, write your own stories, man. Don't rely on somebody else to give you the, the quote that you want. I mean, do, do your own work. Speaking so, of people who give quotes, yeah. um, I, I want to kind of hit a, a few things. Maybe we'll kind of do like a quick roundup of, of some of these things. But Ron Hexall, you know, he, he took flack because he more or less said that the fans don't know what they're talking about, that he certainly knows more about the coaching staff than the fans do, and, and the coaches know more about the players than the fans do, and the, the players know more about themselves than the fans do. So, you know, the fans are lowest on the totem pole. He knows what he's doing. We don't at the end. Here's a, one troubling quote that I that I wanted to bring up with you. So we talked about on the, the last episode, you know, you had to wonder what they were going to do with some of the guys that we didn't like or maybe I didn't like to see them putting out on the ice in big roles. Uh, we know that Brandon Manning won't be back. We know that Valtteri Filppula is is on, I don't know, He he's like, he, the Flyers are in like a will-he-won't-he he kind of scenario, where Hextall said if they can't upgrade the position, they'll look to bring him back. Well, that Or that was at least the inference. Um, but the one that I thought was troubling was his quote on Yori Laterra. You know, I think at the end of the last episode, you said they absolutely should or they, they probably will buy out Laterra. And I said, no, Laterra will probably be back. Maybe they'll give him the A. Life will be great. So the <laughs> the uh, the quote was, you don't just buy out a guy because he makes more money than his role. The plan is to have him back now. I'm going to repeat that really quickly. You don't just buy a guy out because he makes more money than his role. Isn't that the entire point of a buyout? Isn't that why that's been negotiated into a CBA? Like you're paying this guy more than he's worth. Like as like as it pertains to his role, you buy him out, you cut bait, and you say thanks for your time. It's time to move on. Like this to me, like we talked about them being you know tone deaf at, at points. This is stupid. Like this is the epitome of stupid. You you're telling me right now that you would rather continue to pay Yori Lutera the, the hit that he's making against your cap instead of either A, bringing up a younger player to replace him, B, finding somebody else on the free agent market who might be a lower cost alternative who, you know, might actually have some upside, or like C, shortening your bench just all together because it certainly has to be better than Yori Lutera. I don't actually mean C. But like this to me is is just... I don't understand it. Can you make any sense of what Ron Hextall's intent was and what he said? A hundred percent. And that's what and this is perfect. This is a perfect example that this can kind of lead into his other comments about the fans. You're reactionary with this response. And, and that's perfectly right to react the way you did, because, you know, you're not there. You're not you're not thinking, you know, from the from the business side of things. You're thinking as a fan and you're sitting there saying, Holy hell! That's this makes zero sense. You can't say. How can you suggest bringing Yuri Latanner back and to, after admitting that he's you're paying him more than he's worth um, is, is a good thing? Oh my God! This is this is crazy. This is asinine. And you're right. From a fan's perspective, you're 100 percent correct, Russ. But I'll, now let me tell you. I'm, let me. I'm going to put on Ron Hextall's hat. I'm going to be the GM of the team. I need to get rid of Yuri Latanner. Right. My preference is to not buy him out. And why is that? Because I don't want to have dead cap money. We already have dead cat money because we're paying, you know, Ilya Brzgalov one point some million dollars every year. You don't want de- you don't want to keep adding to dead cat money. 
Okay, so you sit there and say, no, our plan isn't to get rid of him. Our plan is to keep him on the roster for now, right? With you have to say that publicly because if you come out and say, yeah, well, uh, we're gonna, yeah, we're we're thinking about buying him out. If you say that, all of a sudden there's zero value, right? Another team's gonna sit there and say, well, we we want to bring in Yuri Laterra, then we just wait for the Flyers to buy him out, and then we can sign him for the the veteran minimum, and then he's on the roster. And so nobody will trade with you at that point. Now, I can tell you with 100% certainty that at several times during the season, Ron Hextall tried to move Yuri Laterra, especially early. I mean, he was trying to move him as early as, like, November um, and and got no bites. Now, I'm not saying that Laterra's performance suddenly is now ma- makes him any more attractive to other teams. But the one thing that Laterra did show that he can do is he did show – that he could play a little bit of a fourth line role, um, as much as we didn't. I was like going to say a, he can he can make it look like he's uh, skating in molasses. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> no, well, as much as we didn't like him as a player here, and I never got it. I under, I never understood why he was he was there. I mean, there are always teams are always looking for alternatives uh, for the fourth line, especially if you get a veteran guy. Who maybe they're not going to score, but you know they can give you something, you know, from a defensive side of things. And Laterra, to to his credit, I mean, yes, he's slow, but he wasn't god awful defensively as a forward. He had mistakes. He couldn't sk- keep up with guys. But in his zone, was actually kind of a, you know, okay player. He was a decent penalty killer. I mean, he wasn't the worst. He wasn't the best, but he was okay. So there are things to his game that you sit there and say, well, maybe we can get somebody to take part of this contract. Like if we, you know, you eat part of the contract and then get somebody to take the other part of the contract, then it helps that way. And now you're not looking at, you know, putting a buyout on your cap hit for the next four years or whatever the case might be. So there is, there's a reason Hextall has to say publicly that they're not getting rid of him right now because he's under contract. So if you if you if you if you diminish his value publicly, then you're stuck with it, right? So they've got to he's got unless he was absolutely 100% planning on buying him out, and then he could have said that. But if the, if he's trying to come up with an alternative, and that's why the the more important words in what he said, rather than um, he's 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 playing he's not you know being paid or he's being paid. What was the exact quote? Uh, and the plan, uh, I, I closed it out. It was, it was, you don't buy out a player because he makes more money than the role that he serves. Right. On the he team. makes more than, right. You don't buy out a player because he makes more money than the role. Rather, the more, the more important, not, none of that is the important comment. The important comment is for now. That's the important words in what he said. And I'll tell you that that's what you have to look for when coaches and, and, and managers speak. Those words are tell you a lot more about their mindset than anything else that they're any drivel that they're you know spitting out well he, he also says, for now yeah. he means he means as of this moment he's on the team and we're planning on using him he but also called there's Le- still a lot of time before before the season starts he also called Laterra a good role player for us and he's really good with our young kids so that's yeah. cute um well, since you're Leter- it's, it's the same thing he's putting out there and I'm, I'm, I, no, I, I, I know. To, yeah, he's, to defend he's, him. Yeah, he's. Like, I get he's it. Tr- he's, he's trying to paint a picture to say, you know what? Maybe somebody out there that a young is a rebuilding team. team. Yeah, yeah. We'll take this take this guy on, and look, we'll even pay part of his contract. He'll be good for you. I mean, that's what he's trying to say. 
publicly. I mean, all honesty, that's what he's saying. It's sweet. Okay, so <laughs> y- Yori was part of a uh, a massive shakeup trade. I think it's it's fair to say uh, last year. I think it's it's fair. Maybe this is uh, this is the last thing we can get to right now, but um, I think it's important that we kind of review that trade a year later. The Braden Shen trade that netted uh, Yori Laterra, the pick that became Morgan Frost, correct? Mm-hmm. And now, uh, because the Blues did not end up in the top three in the in the uh, draft lottery, it netted the Flyers the uh, 14th overall pick in this year's draft. So if as, as we kind of pull a, a away from this, bigger picture, recapping this deal, did it work out for the Flyers? Was the trade worth it? Well, I mean, ultimately, we won't know for still another couple of years. I mean, you got to wait and see what Morgan Frost becomes. you got to wait and see what whoever is drafted at 14 becomes or if they use that pick to move up in the draft or, or potentially trade for a player. Um, so there's all there's all kinds of possibilities. So ultimately, we can't really decide um, what the outcome of this trade is, probably for another two, three seasons. I still think it's a win because I look at it as these were are really good assets that the Flyers got in return for a streaky player who, you know, scores goals at times that are not real big. He's not a big-time goal scorer. Like, he doesn't score at the biggest moments. He scores a lot of goals when the game is not close. Um, And he's incredibly streaky. You saw it this year. He got off to an incredible start and then went, you know, right off the cliff and didn't have – I mean, at the end of the year, you look at Shen's numbers and say, oh, well, the Flyers could have used those numbers. Yeah, but when did those numbers occur? I mean, they were all the first half of the season. He did nothing down the stretch. He could barely score down the stretch. So, um, I, I, you know, I take Laterra out of the equation. I think that was the Flyers just taking on salary to get the second first-round pick out of St. Louis. And then it worked out that the Blues, who were expected to be a good team, didn't make the playoffs. So the Flyers end up getting a, a lottery pick out of the deal. Um, it, it, the trade couldn't have gone better. Now, these players, Morgan Frost specifically, and then whoever's coming this year, have let's, to ultimately... Let's, let's make sure that we refer to uh, to Morgan Frost appropriately. 112 points, Morgan Frost. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the, guy, the kid had a, an incredible year um, in, the, uh, in the OHL, and he's going to be a phantom next year, there's no question. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it looks good. Like, right now, it looks good to me. Um, uh, it, We'll we'll see. I mean, it's gonna it's it's gonna have to, you know, time will tell. Um, ultimately, what, what it's going to be, but at the same time, at the, you know, yeah, it's a good trade. Braden Shen is not is not a great player. He's an okay player, but to get two first round picks out of out of Braden Shen is huge. I think I, it couldn't get any better. Um, and, and I'll throw just for the sake right now. Um, I'll tell you that there's a one player that I think that the Flyers really like, um, and and he's an American kid, um, Joel Farabee. Remember this name. We'll tuck it away here on May 3rd, and then we'll talk in six weeks when the draft rolls around. Um, uh, name that I hear, he's a, he's a left wing. Um, his name is Joel Farabee. He's playing on the U.S. national development team. I think the Flyers like him a lot, um, He's uh, just turned. He just turned eighteen in February, um, and and he's in like an all situations kind of forward. I think that they kind of look at him as a guy who can, you know, be a top six kind of guy and also 
uh, kill penalties and play power play and be, you know, that, that two-way forward uh, on the wing. So I think that having the luxury of having two first-round picks, you might be able to look at that and say, okay, let's see where Farabee is. Is he a kid that we can get at 14, or is he a kid, someone we have to move up a couple spots and make a trade and something like that? So, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of options that Hextall has, and those options are great because of the trade of Braden Chen. So, I mean, I, I think it's a win. Right, right off the bat, it's a win. Um, okay, so really quick before we go, um, and I think this is maybe something that we'll get into more next week. Yeah. Um, the the potential now that you have, what is it, 14 and 18, or is it 14 and 19? 14 and 19. Um, you've got two two solid first-round picks. You've got young pieces that, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take them to potentially hit the hit the, um, the the big club. You know, potentially, we could be looking at trades going down around the draft for legitimate veteran contributors and guys who can actually push the needle now it, will they be able to get the flyers closer to that pittsburgh level maybe not but it'll at least give them a, a fighting chance against teams within their division and within the conference and who knows like maybe if if you go out and you pair a free agent signing and and a uh, a big trade for a vet like i don't know anything's possible right kevin garnett once said anything is possible i think we'll probably get to that next week um before we go, there are two new five-star iTunes reviews. Unless there's anything else you want to hit really quick. Well, the only thing, the only other thing I really wanted to touch on from last week was Hextall saying the fans don't know what they're talking about. Um, and just briefly, I want to defend him, if you don't mind. Go ahead, quick. Yeah, <laughs> quick. I know we got to go. Like you got to yeah, work. This is, this is my problem. <laughs> this is my this is my morning problem. This is all my fault. It's all my fault. It's all, D- all right, go ahead. Defend defend Ronald Jeffrey. Yeah. <laughs> He um he's not wrong, uh, and and that's not that's not a knock on fans. It's it's just it, it's that fan and see, fans think they know more now than they have, than we ever did. And I remember being a fan before I was a writer, um, and I thought I knew a lot, but I mean I didn't have the information at my disposal that fans have today, and and I thought I knew a lot then. So the mentality of the fan has not changed over the years. The mentality of the fan is still the same, except that now you have more more information at your disposal, which makes you sound smarter. Um, but ultimately, Hextall's right, man. Like the fans don't—they don't know. They don't know about certain things going on with players. They don't know about behind-the-scenes stuff. And and hockey's really good at hiding things, and maybe almost better than any other sport is. So you know, it's okay for a fan to have an opinion. I don't ever knock a fan for his for having an opinion. But sometimes you have to realize that the opinion that you have might be a little bit misguided and for Hextall to say that publicly kind of surprised me but he's but he's not wrong so I'm, I'm going to defend the fact that he's that he that he knows a little bit more about what he's doing than maybe the fans want to admit but at the same time he probably shouldn't have said what he said <laughs> because that's not good publicity <laughs> Ron Hextall hates the fans what are some things you hate 610-632 okay and, and I hate headlines can I yeah. tell you that as a writer I hate headlines and, and people think that the writers write the headline and we Although, although I tend to do it on crossing broad because Kyle's never available, but um, uh, we try to. I, I re- writers rarely write their own headlines, so they're usually written by somebody else who's just reading the story. So, don't ever take it out on the writer for the headline. Mm. Okay, real okay, quick, you you, to, uh, we, we got your five star two five star uh, podcast reviews on uh, on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Don't forget. 
if you like the show, which of course you do because you're listening, make sure to go on to iTunes. Uh, use someone else's iPhone if you must or their computer. <laughs> uh, get on to iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Not just the rating. We love the rating, but we also love the review because we like to hear from you. First one is by Rock 20 Good Flyers Podcast. Five stars. Glad they put this in a separate uh, yeah, glad they put this in a separate, I guess that's supposed to be podcast, so Anthony and Russ can have intelligent conversations about the Flyers without Kyle bursting in every five seconds to make some sex joke. Uh, it's also much better than the incessant and frankly incoherent ramblings of BSH Radio. Ooh, shots Ooh. fired. Uh, Scotty Mack, the ghost of Kate Smith, <laughs> five stars. Finally, I look forward to listening to these guys each week, intelligent, level headed flyers talk that is much needed in this town well big thank you to uh eags rock 20 and to scotty mac and of course as always don't forget to go on to itunes leave a five-star review and it and uh we'll read it on the next show I, I didn't realize kyle made a lot of sex jokes when it came to hockey i'm sorry <laughs> we should have him as a guest just to see if he does. don't tell him that that's okay. why we're having him on just have okay. him on yeah and then we'll and then we'll have an over under on sex jokes and see how many there are all right that might oh boy it's going to go from being a nice, this is a nice show that you can listen to in the car. Very, very limited profanity. It only comes from you if it ever happens. And, you know, it's, well, I don't, I don't curse on these podcasts, you know. Well, I try not to either. I mean, I, I, I don't I, actually that's think my, you did the this professional, entire episode. That's the professional in me, right? I try not to curse at all. Yeah. I'm just so proud. I'm so proud to do this show with you every week. <laughs> this beautiful. is, this is podcasting for the entire family right yep, here. This is, it's the best. Hashtag snow the goalie. Um, as always, Snow the Goalie is part of the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Uh, don't forget to go check out the other shows. Uh, Crossing Broadcast, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with me and Kyle Scott, which, uh, oh boy, tonight, as we record this, tonight is game two of uh, Sixers Celtics, so we'll be breaking that down on Friday. Of course, Crossed Up, the Phillies podcast with Anthony and Bob. Uh, of course, this is Snow the Goalie. Don't forget, over the weekend, we've got two soccer podcasts that come out. There is Crossing Broad FC with me and Phil Kaidel. We'll be uh, recapping Champions League games and uh, the Serie A uh, battle at the top, as well as you know most of the other international domestic leagues. And, of course, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. There's a new episode that came out midweek, Anthony. And do you know who was a guest on that show? You? Yeah, I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> sorry to the people who hate me. Anyway, as always, uh, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. See ya.